This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. Let's get to U.S. and China. We talked about this a little bit with our Bloomberg New Economy editorial director, Andy Brown, as we often do every week. He pointed out some of the missed opportunities at the recent G7 meeting when it comes to the developed world's relationship with China. Andy pointing to the China Belt and Road Initiative and really reigning in China when it comes to the use of coal and other climate concerns. So let's get that wide angle lens view of the U.S.-China relationship back on Bloomberg Business week. David Riedel, president and founder of Riedel Research Group. He is with us once again on the phone in San Francisco. David, nice to have you here. How are you? Very well, Carol. Nice to be here with you. Well, it's good to have you here. And so let's talk about the U.S.-China relationship. How do you see it transitioning in a Biden administration? Well, clearly the new administration is uh, making it clear that this is an era of cooperation. Even their main Asia person said recently that the era of engagement is over and now we're in an era of competition. Many people might have thought we were already there, but once the diplomat starts putting it that clearly, I think we're in a very new phase. The U.S. has tried to cooperate with China now for many, many years, uh, many decades at this point, um, bringing them into the fold on international institutions like the World Trade Organization and, and other things. And unfortunately, I think the track record is pretty poor and uh, on China changing their behavior. So this is an era of competition and conflict. So in many ways, President Trump and his team were right in kind of being a little bit more aggressive when it came to China, because it kind of almost set, <laughs> set this current administration up a little bit for continuing along that path. It really did. It's been very easy for the new Democratic administration to continue the uh, the harsh tariffs and other things that Trump had, and even to score some easy wins by letting some of those things fade away, like the ban on TikTok and other things that were untenable. Um, but they, they are able to do some things from a position of relative strength uh, because of the harsh line uh, that the Trump administration took. What do you think about G7 and what happened there and how it played out? Yeah, I think the U.S. is a little further in front of uh, many of our European allies in terms of really being focused on confronting China. I think the Europeans want to play engagement a little bit further out, and I think the U.S. Is, is, uh, feels like that's been, that whole idea has been, been played long enough. So I think Biden dragged the European allies into a, a more confrontational position in their statement when they brought up the Uyghurs and Hong Kong and Taipei, all hot-button issues that the Chinese consider to be internal affairs. So um, the U.S. Is, is really leading on this at this point. How much of the relationship of China with the rest of the world, China with U.S. specifically, how much of it is politically driven? It was interesting to see Jay Powell being questioned, uh, you know, before the House subcommittee and asked once again by a Republican lawmaker about China and its responsibility for the coronavirus, uh, and whether you believe that or not, or what the facts say in terms of how the virus, you know, impacted the world, it just that feels very political versus looking at China in a business and economic way. Yes, I think China is actually very transactional. Uh, they do have a long-term strategy, a much longer timeline than the U.S. tends to have. But I think the idea of an ideological conflict or, or competition is now behind us. I don't think we're talking at this point about trying to change each other's minds. Mm -hmm. We're trying to find out a way to coexist. And so I think that it does come down to transactions uh, and, and interactions on trade and monetary issues. Um, I think that, you know, where the, where the, the origins of the virus uh, will be settled at some point, um, but that doesn't change the near term where we need to figure out our trade, our relationships, 
our companies and our business. So coexist. I love that you went there. So how do we coexist with China? You know this, David. I know this as long as I've been working in business news. You know, it has always been global multinationals. They wanted to be in the Chinese market. They wanted that one billion plus domestic consumer who has now got a lot more money to spend than it did 30 years ago. So how do we coexist? Is there a a relationship that allows global multinationals to easily tap the Chinese market? Unfortunately, I, I would have stopped you just at the word easily. <laughs> I don't think they're ever, it's Fair ever going to be easy. And yeah. the Chinese are definitely going to create a situation where the majority of the value accrues to the Chinese company. And that's become even easier for them. Look at the semiconductor um, dispute, for example. This is creating an opportunity for China to focus on their own domestic semiconductor business, uh, which I think is going to, longer term, become very competitive with the U.S. So I think that as we've seen with solar panels and other electric cars, batteries, technology, and other things, if China has a number of years to focus on development of their domestic capacity, that that window closes more and more for multinationals to participate in the Chinese economy. Unfortunately, they've they've had this long-term view, and they've done a good job of playing their cards right. So does it matter to China? Because it does sound like, too, in terms of their long-term directive, David, that they, too, want to play on the global scale. And they don't want to just sell to their domestic economy, but they want to be playing with the big boys in the developed world. Does it matter to China whether or not they have that access as well to the rest of the markets beyond the Chinese borders? It really does. And look back at the example of solar. You know, they really took over the solar industry by developing a domestic production capability to to saturate the world with solar, Chinese-made solar panels, and then they turned inwardly. But having access to the global market allows them the scale to take advantage of their tremendous cost efficiencies um, that they can can get to when they have large-scale manufacturing for a global market. They need access to the global market. The question is whether other companies are going to want to spend a lot of time focusing on developing the China market for their own goods. So, David, we were talking about the U.S.-China relationship. It's something you have followed for a long time. You've got to do research, though, on the area. You focus on a lot of emerging markets. Emerging markets, just by their nature, can be tricky to track. Tell me if it's getting any easier and how that's either helping uh, out investors in terms of making decisions. Well, in terms of getting information, we're able to get a lot more now than we did 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, but I'll say that emerging markets investors need to be very concerned about uh, corporate governance. These uh, economies and societies have not had the mo- many years of uh, a commitment to having accurate information, uh, sophisticated regulators overseeing that information like we've enjoyed in the U.K. or, or the U.S. or in Hong Kong for a long time, uh, which brings us back to the question of what China is doing uh, with regard to Hong Kong. Um, they've really seemed to be uh, taking a swing at uh, uh, the, some of the freedoms that have been promised to Hong Kong. And I worry that things like the regulator and things like that uh, from the security side, from the investor side, uh, might fall by the wayside as well. So information's there. You just have to be careful how you interpret it. Well, so how do you approach uh, the Hong Kong market as uh, an investor, as a global investor? I think you really have to think of Hong Kong as uh, part and parcel of China yeah. uh, from this yeah. day forward. I think that... Um, it's become clear that they don't have any um, uh, any thoughts about protecting the rights that they committed to protect there in terms of politics, the law, or uh, eventually uh, business. So I think it's an extension of China. Do you still play the Chinese market, or how would you approach that market? Because you know it's undeniable, undeniably, you know one of the stronger growing parts 
of our society, of our global society. That's exactly right. I mean, you're looking at uh, you know over eight uh, yeah. percent GDP growth uh, for next year uh, versus a, a you know six point four percent in the U.S. and four point four percent expected for Europe. So investors rightfully do want to get exposure there, and there are some ways to do it. You can do it through commodities or through shipping companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find some good chi- high quality Chinese companies that are listing here in the United States. But I do caution that there's this ongoing dispute between Beijing and and, and Washington does extend into investments. Now, there's a question of whether the SEC is finally going to insist that uh, true U.S. auditors do the auditing of the books of Chinese companies, something that's been troublesome in the past. You could have situations like uh, an Alibaba situation where Beijing inserts themselves into their financial services business under Ant Financial. All of these things do need to worry investors, especially at a time when Beijing and uh, and, and Washington are on a path of so much uh sort of conflict and competition. You need to be nimble. Well, we've been watching it very closely as it pertains to Bitcoin specifically. We had uh, the China uh, PBOC recently subbing uh, Alipay, several other local banks that were providing services to virtual currency tradings. This is according to a statement. But it is interesting, you know, and I do wonder about the future of high tech in China, especially at a time when we know President Xi has said we want to be involved in these much more higher developed high tech industries. And I do wonder... I don't know, what are you hearing as you follow these markets? What does this mean for Chinese high tech? Do they ultimately kind of get siloed uh, from the rest of the world because of the interference of the Chinese government? I think they do. And because of the need within China for that tight control, you know, the Chinese firewall, the Great Wall, that they, as they call it, uh, around their Internet access, um, really does uh, have a big impact on what companies can develop and, and what consumers can see and consume. Uh, on the ground in China. So I'm afraid we have another uh, generation probably of China creating their own uh, high-tech silo uh, separate from the rest of the world. And I think that's the way that Beijing wants it. They value control more than they do advance. Hey, you know, it's interesting what you said earlier about, um, you know, that that the U.S. is further in front of confronting China than the rest of the world. How do you think it ultimately, David, plays out in terms of the developed world, some of the other G7 members, do they catch up to the U.S.? I do feel like when it comes to China, it's a very tricky, delicate relationship where people want to have some kind of relationship, but they're also a little bit wary. Yes, I think the U.S. has been out in front, but I think there'll be other arrows that that get shot at at people like uh, our European allies, um, clearly Japan, uh, just in their backyard there. Obviously, Taiwan is getting a lot of pressure right now militarily and diplomatically from China. So I think increasingly you will find our allies um, moving closer to the U.S. position. It's just that the U.S. has been a little bit out in front with our conflict with Huawei and other uh, Chinese corporates and the Chinese government. All right. So got just about a minute and a half or so left. Your advice to global investors out there when it comes to opportunities either tied to the Asian or China Chinese market? It's too many people to ignore, too much growth to ignore, but be very nimble and careful. This is right now a trading opportunity, not an investing opportunity. And that's been true uh, in different parts of emerging markets for a long time. You have to be nimble, have to be ready to sell out of positions quickly uh, if, the, if the regulatory winds blow against you or if the political winds shift. So uh, be nimble, but t- take advantage of strong trends in domestic travel uh, and, and other things that are coming out of COVID uh, in China good domestic development in China will always be of value. When you say political wind shifting, are you talking about Chinese or more like the U.S. political wind shifting again? <laughs> I think there's a little bit of both. You know, you've got some, some 
you know, the Xi Jinping is a very strong leader there, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not going to be forever. And I think that there are going to be some different viewpoints and different uh, positions that come to the fore in the next, you know, five years or so in China. And we need to be ready, ready for that. And China's got some crises it's facing, too. Just got about 30 seconds left here, whether it's the aging of their population. I mean, there are some things that they're going to have to tackle, too, right? They're becoming still developing, but a much more developed world country. That's right. Fastest aging population in the world. And they're really just changing their one-child policy officially now. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that raises all kinds of interesting questions about health care and people retiring and uh, changes in what they can do with their economy and their workforce. So this is a period of change for the for the largest, you know, what might be the largest economy in the world by some measures. Uh, and investors have to be involved, but they have to be careful. And we know those domestic issues are always tough and tricky for China, as they are for really most countries when they're dealing with their home front. David, so nice to check in with you. Be well. David Riedel, he's president and founder of Riedel Research Group, uh, joining us on the phone from San Francisco.